I have really enjoyed the series, and I want to say thank you to the uh, preaching team. So, Kurt, uh, Liz, Eddie, I, I want to acknowledge that uh, we come together as a team and we seek God and ask Him, what is it that you're really wanting to impart to the body and how can we be used to help you in that process? And it's such an amazing thing to get to be a part of a team instead of, you know, for years I was a pastor and you just do the best you can and uh, follow the Lord and love the folks. But when you get to do it on a team, it's a whole different level, folks. Yeah. It really is. And for them to come up with this concept, I say them, us, because it was their idea. I was just listening and I found out, wow, they're exactly right. But to say that the very next thing that they sensed the Lord was telling us was to grow in leadership. Yeah. And growing in leadership means that we're not coming here to be entertained. We're coming here to learn how to lead. Yep. We're not coming here to be just nurtured. We're not coming here uh, just because we need a break from out there. We're coming here because we want to be set up as the leaders of God for this time and this life right now. That's good, yeah. And so, the, so I agreed with that. In fact, I, you know, I'm writing a book. I'm doing things on leadership. I work for Franklin Covey. I do leadership seminars across the planet, and so that really resonated with me, but then they went and they qualified it, and then it became real to me. He said, it's not just about growing in leadership, it's about calling our church to be a church after God's own heart. I want us to park on that for a moment, because um, that's, a, that's not a clever marketing scheme. If you want to have a clever marketing scheme to fill the people, say that when you come here, you get to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When you come here, you're going to have amazing worship. You're going to have all this amazing stuff, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're broadcasting. We're going inside out. Come here if you want to be a part of a church that's seeking God's own heart. Yeah. You hear that? And I, that, at first, I admit it, in this one, preaching team at first, I was really quiet on this one. Like on Ruth, I was, yay. And some of the other stuff, I was, yay. On this one, if you remember, I just got quiet. Because I started thinking all those years that I was pastoring, we never said it that clear, that we want to be a church after God's own heart. And so then what I wanted to do with that is I just went to the Lord and I said, Lord, that's what we want to be. What do you want? And he said, I want a bunch of people who are coming after my heart. So I think we're in good alignment. I don't know what your expectations are today, but I'm going to do my very best to walk you through what it means to be a church after God's own heart according to the life of two people who lived it 1,012 years ago uh, in the scripture. It's an amazing story. Last week we saw this uh, forever very popular story of an underdog and it's David and Goliath and we everybody everywhere has heard of David and Goliath and it's one of the most well-known and really inspiring messages because we all feel like we're coming up against stuff that's bigger than ourselves we always feel that way right am I in the right house and so I would say to you if we want to be a church after God's own heart we're, we're the underdogs in this this is, this is a big movement. It's a big ask. It's not the culture of most churches that we have been a part of or that we see. Amen. It just isn't. So it's, it's a much deeper dive into that. And when you think about it in terms of what David did, this is what I learned from the message last week. Thank you. Uh, um, the message for me hit this. That David said that he wasn't going to let fear keep him from being courageous. That was the, in fact, he said it this way in the message that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, therefore we will be courageous. That's what I got out of it last week. And so this week as I'm looking at it and there's a call to being courageous, to be able to actually be a church after God's own heart, it's going to require change in our lives. It's going to change the way we even have expectations. And so I've done marriage counseling for years on different levels. And it's interesting to me because 75% of the, the reason people claim that their marriages fail is because of the lack of a commitment from the other person. So they say it's a lack of commitment. But when you really get down to what's lack of commitment, it's a misunderstanding of expectations. And so because your expectations don't match my expectations, you're not committed. 
That's not necessarily reality, right? And so what we're really doing today is I'm asking you to look at your expectations. What is your expectation of being a part of the church of God? Is it to have us do something for you, right? Is that what it is? Or is it about us calling each one of us to go after God's very own heart? Because I think it's that. And then if we just push it a little bit harder, am I in the right house? Because I'm feeling very nervous yes, today. Yes, come on. I wonder what God's expectations of us are in this church. Forget our expectations for a moment. What's his expectation? And I think we're going to see it in the word as two men lived it. And I would say to you, everyone's heard of David and Goliath. Very few people have heard of the story of the way of the covenant of love between Jonathan and David. Mm -hmm. And yet this is more important than a far-reaching nine-foot-nine giant. Because what we're going to learn today is that if you want to go after God's own heart, you're going to have to love God in a way that you've never loved Him before, and you're going to have to let Him love us in a way that we haven't let Him love, be, love us before. I'm saying it like this, that you're going to have to let God go to the darkest spot in your life, and the deepest need in your life. Because he's got forgiveness for the darkest spot and he's got healing for the deepest hurt. That's what he wants to do. And when you can do that, now you're going after his heart. And if we're not going after that, we're going to go after something less. And he's not about saying, hey, come to my table because I've prepared for you a Happy Meal and there's a toy in the box and you're going to have fun and be fascinated. Friends, this church is not Happy Meal toys. Come eat unhealthy stuff. That's not what it is. It's the banquet of God who's prepared a meal for us in front of the enemy. He's done that. And I'm not going to sit at his table and count my calories or tear through the box of cereal looking for a toy. I'm serious. I'm going to look to him and say, would you at this table open up your heart so I can see it correctly. Because I can't come after your heart if I'm looking for the stupid stuff. I want to see you. I want to see your heart. Because that's what I want to go after. And so I think we're going to see today that there's two ways to do that. And I'm just going to say it in a very simple, basic way. But it's ultimately it's going to come down to a choice of how you see life and a choice of how we treat, it, treat others. So that's really what we're going to be looking at. I want to ask this question of you before we go to kind of frame it. But do you believe that God can love us any more than he already does? And the answer is no. He can't love us any more than he already He's given his son. What else is he going to do to show his love for us, right? So we can't make him love us any more than he already does. That's just what he does. He just loves us. That's who he is. And so I would suggest to you today that you're going to see that two men make a covenant, and the covenant goes like this. I'm going to love you, David, this is what Jonathan's going to say, as much as I love myself. Now I would say to you that God wants to enter a covenant relationship with each one of us today, and it goes like this. I want to love you, Marty, as much as I love myself. And by the way, I'm God, and my love has no end. And so let's think like that for a moment. What would it be if we could see that heart that says, I want to love you. I want to love your darkest spot. I'm going to love your deepest need. That's where we're going. All right. Before we get there, we're going to have to check out our own hearts. So, you know, I, I shared with you a few months ago one of the verses that I thought was one of the scariest verses in Scripture. It's the end of Judges where it says, and every man did what was right in his own sight. That terrifies me because I know what I've done in the name of rightness before. It's not so good, right? Usually rightness has to do with I want, I want my way. And so it usually has to do with I'm going to use you to get my way. Yeah, and that's what's right in my own sight. Just all the words. That's a terrifying passage. Today I found one that's even worse. Are you ready? So this is Jeremiah 17, 9, and I've memorized it uh, just because I want it as a warning for my own life. But most of us, when I talk to people, they'll say, oh, yeah, you, you know, you just have a nice heart. I have a good heart. Everything's going to be okay. And I actually have to say, well, well, Lord, help you on that one, because I know my own heart, and it ain't so great. 
Have you ever thought of that? Then maybe in our heart there's dark spots, there's lens issues. Maybe there's stuff in our hearts that keep us from really loving God right, much less loving others right. Look at this passage. The heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, I, I think it's great that God's going, you know what, you want to talk about the heart? Okay, let's talk. But you're going to have to go deep because you think your heart's great and I'm looking at your heart and I'm seeing some stuff that's not so great. And most of the hurt and the pain that's passed on is not surface level, friends. Most of us is in those church hurts that you talked about, it's not that they didn't notice me. It's not that they sat in my seat. It's that they betrayed me. They really hurt me in a deep spot. And you don't betray people unless you have a sick heart. They judged me and yet God's word says... Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we judge people, and that's, that's a deceitful heart. Oh my gosh, I really hope I'm yeah. saying stuff that's meaningful today. Yeah. Yeah. A heart that's after God's own heart doesn't judge, it doesn't accuse, it doesn't know how. And so a heart that's after the heart of God is going after the people that need to be forgiven, that need to walk through the pain. We're here as literally vessels of grace so that Jesus can love and heal folks. That's what we're really supposed to do. That's the heart thing. And our hearts need it first. As soon as we don't think our hearts are the heart problem, then we're deceived. So just... so. When we say that we want to be a church after God's own heart, let's recognize what he says, what his, his measure of heart is. All right, so then what I want us to do is, at this point, recognize that we're going to have to allow God to do some inner work in us. Some inner work in us if we're going to be a church after God's own heart. And it's okay. And when we do the inner work, the deeper work, you're going to have to have other people that really love you through it. You're going to have to be able to see God's love for you. You're also going to have some other people that really love you. And I want to now speak to the conclusion of the message. At the conclusion of the message, I'm going to suggest that we do one of three things or three of three things. It just depends where you are. Number one, I'm going to ask you to be committed to a church that's after God's own heart. Committed. That your expectations are accurate and your commitment level is accurate. When we're speaking on leadership, we do it in a series. So if you come every fourth time, you're only getting one-fourth of it. We're not asking you to play one-quarter of the game. We're asking you to play four-quarters of the game. Because if we're going to literally be changed and be the change, we're going to have to be committed. So that, and we have to have that expectation. And so that's important to me because, guys, I'm in my fourth quarter age-wise. Mm. You know, age-wise, I'm not the spring chicken. Uh, age-wise, I'm the old chicken. <laughs> All right? And I'm, I'm wearing that. I'm kinda, I kind of like it, to be truthful with you, because I don't feel like I have to lift the heaviest things anymore. You know, it's like, hey, let the other guys do that. There's, but it's also me understanding the sense of urgency that I have that a younger person may not. I'm in the red zone. Right? I'm in the fourth quarter and in the red zone. I'm 64. I don't mind telling you that. I'm going to live to be 93 or something. I don't know. But even if you do the math, I'm still in the fourth quarter. But I'm not in the fourth quarter doing what Russell Wilson's been doing lately, which is sitting on the bench. No, I'm not, it's not an indictment against him, but that's where he's at. I'm in the fourth quarter, and I'm trying to say, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Let's move this thing. Let's score. Let's move it. And I need to be around people who get that. Yeah. I really do. So that's church. Number two is I'm going to ask you to be in a life group. A life group, so a church says, hey, it's real. Get after the real things. A life group says, are you practicing it? This is how we model it. This is what we do when you're not feeling so great. This is what we do when we need to rub shoulders with real people. This is what we need to do when we get to gently correct you and say, when you come to the table to eat, don't eat with your face. Use the utensils. I don't know. But anyway, what, we need people in our lives that are speaking to us. People that care on a consistent basis. And there's no way to move things forward if you're not connected in a smaller group of people that are speaking into our lives. Right? And so when we say join a life group, this isn't like some 
a nice option. This is how you live it. And so the, the life group is a microcosm of a committed church. So don't just join the life group. Bring the best version of you that you can to that life group. Because it takes that. And then number three is I'm asking you to enter into the relationship that we're going to learn about in the Word of God today, which is to have a relationship with another person that's called a soul friend relationship. You're going to see Jonathan and David entering into a covenant relationship where they become soul friends. Now what's sad about this is that years ago, about 20 years ago, there's this um, misconstrued concept of soulmates where people were saying, in, in my marriage, I'm looking for a soulmate, and if I don't have the soulmate and they're not my best friend, I'm going to do something different. It was really weird. So don't make soul friends weird. You're going to see what it is in the Word of God today. And what I would say in terms of marriage is to correct us in case some of you were uh, exposed to some of the weirdness about 20, 25 years ago with the, the, little, the movement that kind of swept the United States called soul mating. But it, it ended up with marriages going sideways, not going forward a lot. So your spouse is supposed to be your soulmate. That's the way God set it up, to become one flesh. Amen? To become one. Your, your spouse isn't the favor broker so that they can make you happy. Mm. Your, your spouse isn't the person that uh, says, you don't have to change. I'll just accept you just the way you are. <laughs> That's not what soulmates do, all right? Your spouse is your forever belonging to human that is actually the one who gets to speak into our lives in such a way that what they share moves us like nobody else gets to move us. They're the ones that we get to lay our life down in such a way that we, get, we don't get to lay our life down for anyone else as well as we do our spouse. And it's a forever thing. It, it, it's not, hey, I'm going to seek to make you happy. It's so far beyond that. And it's not, hey, I'm going to require that you make me happy. It's so far beyond that. Marriage is actually, I'm bringing the best version of me to bring out the godliest you. That's what it is. And anything less than that is less. So that's what it really means to be a soulmate. I'm not asking you to be a soulmate. I'm qualifying it for a reason. I'm asking you to have a soul friend. And the soul friend is going to be somebody that you guy, have another guy in your life, at least another guy, that you can tell your stuff to. And that you can hear... A, hear from that says, you know what? I hear you and, and they start bringing a collective voice into your life. We need that as men, women need that as women. And so I wrote my doctorate, my dissertation on this 30 something years ago, and I called it Soul Friends. And we took our church and we paired people up. We took people who were very different. So I took men who were, uh, you know, systemic, um, linear in their thinking, and I put them with uh, creative, artistic, all over the place people. And we, we matched them up on purpose to, with different personalities so that there would be a need to extend grace to each other, a need to be able to really understand each other. And the whole soul friend movement, which is amazing, I'm mentioning all this because I went back there a few years ago and those soul friends are still soul friending. So 30 years later, they're still knit together in love, even though their personalities, their positions, their places in life were completely different. It worked. And it worked because we started extending each other grace. We were there. And it was as simple as making sure that you were connected on a daily or and or weekly basis. So I'm asking you right now, men and women, do you have that person in your life that you're really connected to at that deep level other than your spouse? And if you don't, and if you think we're going to grow to be a church after God's own heart, we won't even grow to be a human after God's own heart, much less a church after God's own heart, without a soul friend, a life group, and a commitment from a church. If we're good, I'd pretty much, we're done. All right, we're not quite there. All right, it's all right. So I, if you guys all would have said, yeah, that's exactly it. Let's do it. Then we knew that we could just uh, close services. But we won't. So back to the backstory. The, the last thing we learned was David kills the giant. And then the Jews go and they rout the Philistines. 
And that's kind of where it ended. I'd like to pick up from there today, but I'm admitting it's a little bit weird. We have some kids in here too, and so it's going to be a little gory. You know, you have to give those disclaimers. So it's going to start off basically with David spending a day and a half walking around with Goliath's head in his hand. <laughs> so he's cut his head off, and he's walking around, and he literally does, if you look at it, he walks almost over 30 miles with the Philistine's head in his hand. So he takes the weapons and he goes back to his tent. Remember, he's in a little tent shepherding the sheep. And then his dad calls him in and says, go take care of your brothers on the battle line. So David goes and takes some food and stuff to the brothers, gets in the fight with Goliath, cuts Goliath's head off. They all go out. Everybody else goes out to battle. And then you know what David's doing? David's left there standing there holding the head. And so what he does, apparently, is he goes and he says, okay, I'm picking up the weapons. He goes back to his little tent. He puts the weapons in his tent, which makes sense, right? That, that's, I'm tracking with that. But then he walks from there up to a Jebusite garrison in Jerusalem, 10 more miles where the Philistines have a garrison outside the city that he wants to claim as his own. And he takes the head there. Now that's just getting weird. It just is. And I don't know what he does. Like, does he hold the head up and say, hey, garrison, you're next? I don't know. I literally, this scripture's just silent, but it tells us he goes there. Then from there, he goes back to the battlefield, and then he gets called in to meet with Saul, and that's where we're going to pick it up today. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. This is 1 Samuel 17, 54 uh, to 58. Then David took the Philistine's head, and he brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul... Saul saw David going out against the Philistine. He said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. And that's just weird right there, right? Because usually you'd say, by my own life, I don't know. You don't say, by your life. And that, that's kind of a unique thing that's telling you about the position that Abner and Saul have. Uh, they're very uh, man-centered, and they're very concerned about their lives. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to see that statement. And then the king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. All right, does anybody see this as weird as it really is? And so th this story actually happened it, 1,012 years ago. David was 16 years old. So I kind of, you know, cut the kids some slack. As a 16-year-old, you don't have a lot of life experiences of what to do with dead heads, right? I mean, you're, yeah, I mean I, he made a good choice. He didn't put it in his tent. I mean, no, that's a bad, that'd be a bad choice. It's such a weird thing. And so he's 16 years old, got the head. And then Saul's talking to me, and he says, well, whose son are you anyway? Which seems like a legitimate question at this point. And David says, I'll tell you whose son I am. His name's Jesse, and he's a servant. And he's from the smallest tribe in Israel, and here I am. And then it's interesting to see Saul's response from that, is that Saul's basically looking at it, and he, you're going to see this in a moment, and saying, now, how do I leverage this action this activity to be able to advance our causes that's what he's doing he's going so david you killed the philistine we routed and now what am i going to be able to do to take that and make the most out of it for our causes and what i'm suggesting to you is that's the wrong thing to do it's not about looking around and saying how can i leverage other people for my own cause it's literally about what is God doing in this weird situation? What is God doing on planet crazy that he has me being a part of right now? And so if you really want to be a church after God's own heart, we're going to have to do two things a little bit different. We're going to have to see life differently. So what I'm saying is I'm going to call it next level living. If you really want to see God's heart, our, and our hearts are deceitful and can be fooled, then we're going to have to acknowledge that. We're going to have to say, Lord, you're going to have to show me what you're really doing in this situation because most likely I will miss it. Can you admit that right now? Lord, most likely I'm going to miss what you're doing because I'm living at this level and you're trying to live at that level. Even in the songs we sang today, one of the, the phrases was, 
Lord, I, you know, help me to make it through. I'm going to make it through. The Lord's saying, yeah, good. I want you to make it through. But I, at the next level, am calling you to make a difference. It's not about making it through. It's about making the most out of this moment. Do you see the difference? So one's this level, then one, the other's the next level. Next level living says, you know, God, what are you really doing here? And it's not about me making it through. It's about you making a difference through my life in this situation. This is significant. Next level living means that we're really looking for the deeper, greater, more important things. We're not looking at the surface level things. We're not even looking out the outward stuff. We're looking to see what is eternal and what really matters and how can we bring something to that. So that's a, that's a way of reconditioning our eyes, but our eyes aren't on the outside. Our eyes are the eyes of our heart, what we're really seeing. And so what I'm asking you to do in this is not to do what Saul did. Saul saw, Saul saw David as someone that he could use to further his cause. Can we look at other people and say, how can I bring the causes and the heart of God to further your need? And it's interesting, just this week I was, I had, I was at, Home Depot, I wasn't going to remember, but anyway, I was at Home Depot, and I had 15 extra minutes, I was picking up some filters for the uh, furnace and stuff, and I decided to ask somebody for some help, which is always hard for me, because sometimes when you ask for people for help, they can't really help you, and then I feel like they take a bunch of time away from me that I... You know, it's like asking for directions or something, and it's better to follow MapQuest. I don't know. So anyways, it's just not easy for me to ask people for help, because when I do, they don't always give me the best advice. And now, I have, now I've wasted my time. That's what I feel like. <laughs> I know. The heart's very deceitful, friends. So anyway, I asked this person for help. And they said, oh, yes, I'd love to help you. Come sit down. Then I, I knew I've got 15 minutes. I should have right then said, I only have 15 minutes, but I didn't. So I sat down. And they opened up a screen. They were going to help me design a whole bathroom. So I didn't ask them to help me design the whole. And then it just started going wrong. And then they put the wrong dimensions in. I tried to say something. They said, oh, no, no, no. And it, but no, really, you did. But, you know. So I was just stuck. And then I looked at it, and it was 14 minutes and I'm looking at my clock and so I said well I've been so appreciative of your help which is just a lie I've been so appreciative of your help and I just said thank you I gotta go now and left and you know it's interesting I was walking out and I thought I'm so thankful I got out of that and the Lord said no no you you missed the whole thing it wasn't about you getting something out of that 14 minutes that 15 minutes what do you know about the person who was actually trying to help you but did you ask them any questions? And I thought, oh, Lord, I just missed it. Yeah, you completely missed it. And sometimes we do. Why? Because I had the lens of you're supposed to do something for me, and you've got 15 minutes to get it done. That was my mindset. Can you, Church, can you hear me, please, on this? It's not about what you can do for me, what I can get out of it. It's what is God doing in here, and maybe he can bring me into it. That's what it means to be a church after God's own heart. Saul's looking at it and saying, okay, man, you killed the thing. Now, how can I use you next? Because I want to further my cause. And what I'm suggesting to you is that's not the way of God. So anyway, we've, we've got to look at it. I could, we could dig uh, more into this and see, and you'll see it as you read through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. You're going to see Saul continuing to try to use people over and over. It never gets broken in him. He thinks leadership is having a place and a position and power over other people. According to God, leadership is literally bringing the best version of ourselves in order to bring out the best in others. God's is a very different view of it. All right, so again, what I want to do at this point is to call you, us back to the passage that Kurt used at the very beginning to say that we were going to be a church after God's own heart. So we can just look at it and then we can say to ourselves right now, is that really where I'm at? So let's look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. Just one more moment. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
And so this is, this is a different way of living. That's why I'm calling it next level living. If you really want to be a church after God's own heart, we have to live differently. You have to see things differently. And oh, by the way, look what Jesus says, and this is in Matthew 23:38. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the day, the people that are in the high profile position, power, and place, right? And this is what he says to them. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so I kind of felt that way. I'm not, and I'm not trying to make this harder than it really was, but when I walked out of Home Depot, I thought, oh man, I just, I just did the hypocrite move. I really did. And, and God's law says, this is my law. I command you to love one another as I've loved you, right? And so I, I walked by and I said, you know what, I'm just sorry. I really missed that one. I said, should I go back? And he said, no, you don't need to go back. Next time, just do it better. Amen. And I was, I was grateful in a sense. Like, you know, what do you go back? I'm sorry, I didn't love you the way God wants me. I didn't know, but I'd be, I'd be willing to do it. That's what I said to him. And he said, no, just next time, get it better. So that's next level living. And what I'm suggesting is that when God's looking at a situation, he can't look at the surface. He has to look at what's going on right now, what's happened before, and what he's really trying to do in the future. He's looking at all those things at once. And he's wanting us to learn how to be our part in that, right? And so we're usually coming into the moment. We're not coming into the past. And we're not necessarily knowing how it is to move that person forward. But we need to be able to say to the Lord, you can use me in this moment. That's my heart. And if you want to really be used, here's a good question with the person, is get to know their backstory. Kurt used that phrase last week, and, and it really it gnawed at me, getting to know the backstory. If we don't know another person's story, how are we really able to bring life and purpose and value to where they're at? And how are we able to even really pray for them? And, and so we need to be able to ask those questions. Hey, can you tell me some of your backstory? What's going on in your life? How can we be a part of it? That's so essential and elementary to the way God does things. But a lot of times, we don't. We say, this is the way we do things. All right. And so I'm asking myself this question now. Lord, why, why would I be judging another person? Why would I not be asking them questions about their backstory? Who needs judgment? How many times has judgment never helped you get to the next level of anything? Right? It doesn't. Mercy triumphs over judgment for a reason. Right? And so we need love and we need grace. We need to be able to have that safe space to be able to talk about our dumb stuff. Every one of us in this room has a dark spot. We do. We have dark spots. Every one of us has a deep hurt in this room. You know what's interesting? Not everybody in this room has other people that understand their dark spots and their deep hurts. Why? Because we don't have soul friends. Amen. We've got to have people that we can say, hey, I need some of that light that you have in that dark place. Because I don't want to live that darkness anymore. We, got, we need people in our lives to say, I'm hurting, I'm really hurting, and I'm trying to bring love to my spouse, but I don't have it to bring to my spouse, so I'm pulling it out of him or her, and it's not working. And so we need that, friends. You've got, you've got to be able to connect on the next level of what we're about to see. So that was Saul. Now let's look at what uh, his son Jonathan, how he interacts with David. 1 Samuel 18, 1-5, just following what we just read. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. It was pleasing in everyone's heart except Saul's. Isn't that interesting? And it didn't say that Saul's heart was knit to David. Whose was? Jonathan's. So Jonathan is the son of David. And you need to understand, Jonathan's about 26 years old here. He's next in line to be king. He's watching this conversation with David holding the 
Philistine's head. You can almost hear him say, uh, "Hey, David, you could put the head down now if you want. You know, it, it's okay. You know, drop it. Let, let's have another conversation." And Saul's missing it, and Saul's saying, "All right, this is how I'm going to use you." And Jonathan says, "Wait a minute. I want to love you. I want to love you as myself." And he actually says it in the moment. Do you see it? And he says, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. And then he begins the process of saying, okay, David, I want to give you my robe, which is, of course has to do with a position. I'm going to give you my power, which, of course, is the armor, the sword, and then the belt, which represents even the vulnerability, you know, all that I have. I'm, I'm all in on this. He gives it to him. And I would suggest to you at that time is when David's heart and Jonathan's heart were knit together in such a way. And you're going to see it as you read the rest of the chapters that these two uh, have an opportunity to be able to advance God's kingdom in a way that no individual could on their own. So it just goes to a whole nother living, I mean, level of living. And what I'm calling this is if we want to be a church after God's own heart, we're going to have to learn how to not only have next level living, we're going to have to have next level loving. Amen. We're going to have to be able to love people like this. Where you say, what is it that I can literally give to you to set you up for success? I can remember when I first took the church in uh, Park Avenue. And I went down there. I went from a church of only a few hundred people to a church of over 2,000 people. And we were the largest church in town. And, you know, we were the, the life center of Tacoma. And, and one of the first things I wanted to do was to uh, ask the city of Titusville, Florida, to have all the churches to come together and that we would literally uh, have a citywide revival. And so the, the leadership at our church said, well, that can't happen. I said, well, why can't it happen? And they said, because the second largest church in the city doesn't like us. And they won't do stuff with us. <laughs> and I said, so the churches in the city aren't united. Well, no. And it's not that we're not united, they just don't like us. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I'd like, I'd like to meet with that pastor then. And they said, well, you know, whatever. So I, that was good enough for me. And so I, I set up a meeting and the, the pastor agreed to meet. I mean, he's friends with Casey Treat all the way up here. I, I didn't know any of this stuff, but he, he, he's uh, of a person that has a strong sphere of influence. And so I'm getting ready to meet with him. I hear the Lord tell me as I'm driving over there, you need to be ready to give him the shirt off your back. I think, well, that's kind of weird, but I literally heard that. So I pull up, I get to go in, I'm having a meeting with this pastor of the second largest church, it's friends of all these people. It goes pretty well, but he does say, you know, Park Avenue has a reputation of being the leader. That's what he said. In other words, you're dominating other people and we don't get to do, you know, we don't get to call the shots, you call the shots. And I said, well, uh, thank you for letting me know that. That's not my heart. So my heart's not to be the leader. My heart is to grow leaders. And so he said, you know, he kind of looked at me like, like he didn't roll his eyes, but almost, you know, like, yeah, all right. And so then I said, okay, Lord, now I get it. And so I right there in his office, this is the most embarrassing thing. Guys, I'm not this tough guy like a lot of people are, but I took my shirt off and I gave it to him. And I said, I think the Lord wants me to let you know that I would give you the shirt off my back. He just stood there like, God, you are weird, man. And what you know, it was so weird to walk out of his office of this big church in my little, you know, scrawny self. And when the cry, I thought, Lord, I don't know what I just did. I really don't. And you know what's amazing? We had a, he called me later and he said, my heart is still moved by what you did. He said, I didn't say anything to you when you were leaving because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I really like that shirt. I said, it's one of my favorite shirts. Well, what? And wouldn't you know that after I put the shirt on, I heard the word say, you need it, because it was my favorite shirt. And a purple flannel, oh my gosh, it was so soft. Anyway, uh, we ended up doing the citywide revival. I said, do you want us to do it at your church? Could you host it? He said, no. Yours holds more people. Let's do it at yours. We did. It was a beautiful, amazing thing. Because I laid down my robe. I laid down the... See what I'm saying? We've got to be able to do that. And when we do that, we're a church after God's own heart. When we don't do that, we're just a church after something. And Jonathan did it. His father didn't do it. Sometimes I look at it and I go, are Jonathan and David even related, much less father and son? 
Kurt and I are father and son. He calls me father-in-law. I'm not his father-in-law. I'm his father. Whether he wants it or not, I'm after him. <laughs> I'm serious. He knows that. He's being polite and using the right terminology. I'm not Dr. Marty Schaefer. I'm his dad. I'm going after him with all my heart all the time. Now, he does the same thing. You guys, we're not looking for cute titles. We're not looking for outward stuff. We're going deep inside and saying we want to be transformed to transform. I'm willing to be the friend that another friend needs. Whether, I, whether you're the friend to me or not, I, that's not the point. I'm willing to be the friend that you need. I'm willing to be the man of God that this community needs for this moment so that God can use me in a situation where I can lay some stuff down that actually makes a difference instead of grabbing a bunch of stuff that doesn't. How much more stuff do we need? How many more marketing campaigns are we going to have, right? Just lay it out there. And I'm asking you to consider the power of what Jonathan did. Here's what he said. He said that he loved him as himself. I'm suggesting that this isn't an option. I'm suggesting to us today that this is the way of God. It's the way of God. Ephesians 5.2, you know, we've seen this. I just want us to read it. So if you'll put up Ephesians 5.2, please. It says this, walk in love. And by the way, command form, all right? Walk in love. So you don't get to walk in other ways. I mean, you can, but don't say that you're in the will of God if we're not walking in love. I'm looking for everybody's head to nod so I can go on. God commands us to walk in love. Amen. And to not walk in love is to not walk in the way of God. Yes or no? Yes. Come on. Yes. If we're going to be a church after God's own heart, we will walk in love. Yes. And it's, not, it's out of resolve. It's not out of obedience. It's not out of, you know, you have to do this. Good night. Why wouldn't we do this? His love compels us to love. It's not an option. It's just the way it is. He's not just the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through Him. We walk in love. Why would you not walk in love? Because you have a deep, dark something that needs to be dealt with. So let's deal with it and get back to walking in love. All right, so walk in love. Now here's the qualifier that I, I asked yeah, I to put in italics. So if you read this in the Bible, it doesn't have just as in italics. But it does have the word just as in there. Here's, the, here's what's amazing. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So it's not walk in love as you feel like it. Not walk in love as you have 14 minutes in Home Depot. Watch this. Walk in love as Christ has loved you. Oh, by the way, just as Christ has loved you. That's a call. Man, that is, that is something. And then he says, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I see it like this. God's saying, okay, I'm going to lay it all down. Here's my robe of righteousness. You are righteous before me. I'm giving you my righteousness, and I'm putting it on you. Here's my robe. What color of robe do you want to wear today? You just say, here it is. I'll give it to you. But it's a robe of righteousness, and I'm giving it to you. And then, and then he's going to say, armor, oh, by the way, I've got the full armor of God that I'm going to give you. It's Ephesians 6.10, full armor. And I'm asking you to put it on every day because there's an enemy who's going to hate you and work against you. And don't worry because love's going to overcome. That's how it works. You put this armor on, you're going to be okay, let's go. And so just as Jonathan said, I lay my armor down, Jesus Christ laid his life down. But that's not just, that's a concept almost to some of us. Yes, he loved us enough to die for us. Friends, it's real. He's also giving us his armor, and we can put it on every day so that we can go on and love folks. That's how it works. And so what I do is I have an opportunity every day to say, Lord, help me to be able to overcome evil through your love, through your way, through your armor. And I ask him to help me put his armor on. you got to put it on every day, folks. And so next level living is one thing. Next level loving is the second thing. If we'll do those two things, we will be a church after God's own heart. However, I want to give the uh, difficulty factor here is that 
our level of being able to bring the love of God to others is only going to be as deep as we're experiencing the love of God from Him. Right? We can't give away what we don't have. So we're going to have to go deep after God to be able to give God away. So, you know, sometimes we do these things at the beginning of the year, and I'm always a little nervous. You know, I'm going to read through the Bible in one year. I'm not saying don't read through the Bible in one year. I'm saying just read the Bible. Okay. Read the Bible till your heart is transformed into something different. And if it's not transformed into something different, then stop, pray, go back and read. But don't read the Word of God and walk away unchanged. And so we need to be committed to being in the Word of God. We also need to be committed to talking about the, the Word of God and the life of God in our own lives with other people. You've got to have a person that you can talk to about what God's doing in your life. And so I'm asking you to enter into that as well. And I just want to give you this loving, living uh, uh, overview because a lot of us, we're not sure what it really means to love another person or to live at that next level. And God said, well, I need you to do something that's going to be inward, not outward, right? So I just want to show you what it looks like. If you'll put up the living, loving slide. There's basically two paths that we can choose. One is the, the path of being conditional. That's worldly. I'm going to do this because it gets me this. What can I get out of it, right? And th that's a lot of our life. What I'm going to make money. I'm going to get certain money. I'm going to do something with my money. And I'm going to get something for myself with what I'm getting. I mean, that, those are conditions. We work for the conditions. What I'm suggesting is most conditions impact the outward person. They impact our flesh. They impact the desires. We get what we want, right? They impact our physical lives. And so it's really more uh, external, surface-level things. And they usually have to do with time. Most of the conditioned things are, I have 14 minutes in Home Depot. What can I do with that 14 minutes of time? Focus. Eternal things move way beyond that. It has to do with unconditional love. It's not I'm in this favor brokering trying to leverage you. No, I'm in here trying to be the best version of me to be used by God to bring value to you. That's what it is. So that's, that's unconditional, and that's loving in a different way. But it's inward. It's spiritual. It's forever. And when we live that way, friends, we literally are going to see God's heart. And if we're not in that unconditional thing, let's not be fooled that we're seeing God's heart, because we're not. If you're living for conditions, it's not agape love. God is love. And so you've got to be able to walk in His love and bring His love and carry His love. So again, what, we, what I don't want us to do is look at this and say, and say, yeah, that's a nice idea. No, this is the way of being able to use our life so that it makes a difference. And so I just want to conclude with this, is that I'm asking us again to, uh, right now, would you just think of that person that you have a relationship with that you can say, my soul is knit together with that person. I'm a soul friend. I can tell that person anything. In fact, I can tell that person things I don't want to tell anybody. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have a small group where you're being encouraged to have that person in your life? A life group. Have you joined a life group? And what are your expectations of a church? And so if we're going to be going down this path together, we need to make sure our expectations are the same. And we need to align them with the Lord and just say, okay, Lord, we want to be a church after your own heart. Lord, we will group together one another in life groups or whatever we, you know, those things. But we're going to live this together. And oh, by the way, I'm going to cultivate a relationship like Jonathan and David to where I know what to do with the giant's head. So I know what to do with the things that I'm walking through. And so I'm going to ask Allie to come up. We're just going to uh, close with this. Remember, um, if you give your heart away, uh, it, it's somewhere between likely and very likely that you're going to be hurt. If you give your life away, you're going to have to walk into a place of vulnerability and people could hurt us there. And some of us have walked that path before and we, we are what the Bible calls hard-hearted or we have a heart of stone. 
a heart of stone is not going to be able to be able to know and be a church after God's own heart. Because when God was betrayed, what did he do? He sent his son, his only begotten son, who laid down his life for a ransom for many, right? And so he went, so I know this is serious. This isn't flippant. This isn't surface level. This isn't conditioned. This is forever stuff. Do you have friends in your life that you can talk to and make movement in in the forever factors, the forever stuff? Think of who that person is and just ask yourself, who are you to that to someone else? Have you ever invited somebody to just say, you know what? I really want to go deep with you. I want to tell you the real stuff. I want to be a person that, can, that says, I have your back. I'm in your corner. I'm on your side. Let's make sure we have that. And I would suggest to you as well that when we do that, it's more significant in advancing God's kingdom than killing the giant. Killing the giant might be a one-time act. It's a great thing. It was courageous. Having a relationship that is of this level is everything. And I just want to, again, thank our church for, uh, for seeing the significance of being real. And having a call that's not clever. But having a call after God's own heart. I was with Tommy Tenney. He's a guy who wrote a book called The God Chasers. And uh, I'd spent a weekend with him and I was driving him to the airport. And we were talking about important things. He said, hold on, hold on. He said, I just got a call about an airplane I'm getting ready to buy. And so uh, it, the call went long. It took maybe 12, 14 minutes. I can't remember. But I had to drop him off at the airport and he was still on that call. And I remember driving away thinking, I'll probably never see this guy again. And I didn't. But we had an opportunity to connect at this level. He got a phone call that took him somewhere else. And so that connection of really getting to go to the next level never happened. Isn't that interesting? I remember, remember just thinking, I wish you would have said to that person on the phone, hold on, I'm talking to Marty, and I've only got 12, 14 minutes left, and I really want to close strong. I wish you would have said it. He went back to Baltimore, he did his thing. I went back to Park Avenue, Tarsville, did my thing. Um, no soul friend there. It's just that how, that's how it goes sometimes. There's other, been other people where I've looked at and I've just said, you know what? I'm going to make the effort and I'm going to put the phone call down, the distractions down, and I'm going to ask you to be a soul friend to me. So that's why I'm asking us. I'm asking us to think like that. Maybe by next week you'll have an idea of somebody that you're going to say, you know what? I really want to have you as a, a person like David had Jonathan. Thank you.